Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, it's great to see everyone. I'm really excited. If you, uh, if you're our guest this morning, we're really, really excited to have you, have you here. Um, that's a cool video, huh? Recovery. We all need some sort of recovery, don't we? If you're, uh, if you're a mind that thinks spiritually, you're always, you're always trying to recover yourself spiritually. If you're a financial wizard, you always want to recover your finances, correct? Um, our next series is called Recovery Road. And um, I chose this series because there's a lot of things that we can recover from. You know, right now, if you pay attention to anything that's going around around our country, which most of you do, and sometimes I don't like to necessarily speak to everything that's going on in our country, but I thought this is, a, is kind of an important time that I can, I can connect What's happening around us, but also what's happening around you. Um, if you guys watch TV, you know there's a, there's a fiscal crisis. There's things called debt ceiling. You hear $16 trillion in debt. You, you, you start thinking, going, you start saying approval ratings of Congress at 13%. You're going, what is going on? Why can't people get stuff done? Because in my household, we get stuff done. <laughs> right? You're like, what is the matter? You know, don't you know how to balance a checkbook? You know? Oh yeah, I know my husband's a spender, but, but I recalibrated. We have a discussion, and then he changes, right? Or maybe it's the woman who does that, I don't know. When, when, when these things happen, sometimes I like to speak to it. You know, Peter, uh, a man in the Bible who followed Jesus, who gave up his whole career, he was a fisherman, he gave up everything, and he followed Jesus, this guy Peter. He writes to the, his fellow Christian, and he says, you know, we're a nation within a nation. So we're like a nation, if you're a Christian, within a nation. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. You know, I was watching this documentary on TV. I, I watch sometimes sports documentaries just to get fired up. I used to play soccer in college. You didn't know that. Uh, it's, a, it's an ongoing joke in our church that I play college. So I keep saying that. I don't know why, but I thought I'm saying that. I don't look that way. I don't play that way anymore. But it's, it's kind of nice to say sometimes. And, and so I'm always inspired by athletes and what they do and the remarkable things they do. And I was watching this show called 30, 30 for 30. It's on ESPN. And they had a documentary called Going Broke. So I, so I recorded it, and then I spent some time watching it. I, what I saw flabbergasted me. What I saw was 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds having million-dollar contracts, 14, 15 million dollars, playing a, playing a professional sport, whether it's basketball or football, 60% of professional athletes, when they retire from their sport, are broke. I'm going, how does that happen? You give me $14 million, I'm doing well. I'll never be broke. <laughs> How are they broke? You're almost like, don't give an 18-year-old millions of dollars. You're so mad. Give me 18 mil. You're, they're supposed to take all that money and then be retired and then live a comfortable life from hereafter. They're on Skid Row. They're addicted to drugs. They have so many children they don't support. Child support is, is, is astronomically high. They get unexpectedly injured. And you think, how can people so rich end up so poor? You work so hard. Remember, remember Circuit City? 
Remember Hostess? Twinkies? Yeah. My children were like, there's no more ding-dongs and Twinkies. <laughs> Remember that? It was almost a sad moment to realize it's gone. What happened to that company? Everyone would have bought it. Everyone still buys Twinkies. They are terrible for your health. It will kill you. But they're so good. How could they run that company into bankruptcy? Do you remember, 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 remember um, Borders? Simi yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Valley, I went over there and closed down. What is going on in Borders? Remember Blockbuster? Oh. Hollywood Video? We thought we were so cool we had our Hollywood Video card, like I'm, I'm a member. Remember that? Well, I want to be a member, we'd all start joining in. Could they go broke? You think this, these companies will be smart enough not to be bankrupt? I mean, we're smart enough, right? Yeah. Why aren't they smart enough? I know what you business people think sometimes. That would never happen under my watch. That would never happen. I'm sure they thought the same thing, but it happened. Yeah. And there are many theories about. And then when you look at our country, the U.S. of A., it is almost unbelievable that the United States of America is uh, teetering financially. It is almost unheard of that the U.S. of A. is almost on its knees financially. And a lot of people think, well, we got here this way, we got here that way, and I'm sure you have a solution. I'm sure if, if you were in Washington, you'd fix it, right? I'm sure you would just take care of the problem. But what the average person has missed is that we don't necessarily have a financial problem. The root of our financial crisis is actually not financial. I mean, on the surface, it looks that way, doesn't it? It's a symptom. When you do enough budget gimmicks, and you know this in your own personal budget at home, when you try to gimmick the numbers... All you do is increasing your credit card debt. <laughs> and this works not only as a nation, but it also works for our personal finances. We all know this. That our problem when we have financial problems is not necessarily financial. We want to say it is, well, I'm not making enough money. Well, let's print more money, right? <laughs> let's just make, let's make a coin. <laughs> Let's make, we, have, we have problems. Let's just make more money. It's not a financial problem. Big companies didn't go down because they had a financial problem. They didn't have a money problem. Two things that gets a person's attention. Two things. One is a financial challenge, a problem. And two is a health problem. Those are two things that get your attention quickly. But as a country we have a tendency to ignore fundamentals. We ignore them. Until it impacts us financially. And we individually have a tendency to avoid fundamentals until it impacts us financially. You know, it's kind of like an example. is like, you know, when someone is addicted to drugs, they stop when they run out of money or they have nowhere else to go or they're on the street and then there's a time for recovery. They have an opportunity. But it almost takes them 
that much. It's not, they have a behavior problem. And the bottom line is that we are reaping what we have sown nationally and individually. We are reaping. And we've been reaping a very long time. Now, by that I mean this administration was not the first to begin this problem. This goes back many, many, many presidents ago. Yes, your favorite president. Yes, he was involved too. This one may not be your favorite, but the last one may have been your favorite. He had the same problem too. And before him, they had the same problem and the same problem. California has a problem. Right? They want more, right? You're like, fine, I'll give to the schools. Fine, but you better sit on the kids, right? We get mad at them. Why even get more taxes? <gasps> you feel it. Every time we go to the store, that percentage just went up a notch, right? Ugh. You know, we passed over, over 400 more laws this year in California. I don't even know what they are. I mean, I may be breaking the law right now and not even know it. <laughs> I mean, there are so many laws. I don't know what I'm breaking. I, I, I'm always in trouble, I guess. But it goes way back. But we don't have financial laws. We are the United States of America. We are the land from sea to shining sea. Purple majesties. Our problem is not stem from a prosperity problem. We don't have a prosperity problem. We don't, we're not struggling like some countries and starving just trying to make it. We're not Afghanistan. We're not Iraq. We're the U.S. of A. We're, we're born into prosperity. All of our toilets work even in the poor neighborhoods. The electricity works even in the poorest of neighborhoods. In fact, you might find some flat screen TV in the, in the poorest of neighborhoods. <laughs> you might find better cars than yours in the poorest yeah, of neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a prosperity problem. We have an abuse of prosperity problem. You know, prosperity is a very difficult test to pass. It's very difficult, and I'll tell you why. Because as a consequence, or consequently because of it, we have a discipline problem. The discipline. You know, um, the more we have of something, the less discipline we tend to be with it. We have, when you carry some debt, you don't mind carrying more debt. The more we have of something, the de less discipline we're with it. You know, so what happens is that we want to reach into the future to fix the now. We're doing that nationally. We can do that individually. We have a discipline problem of how we handle ourselves. Let me show you a video. You've been around a while. You've heard of the Twilight Zone, right? Who, raise your hand if you've heard of the Twilight Zone. If you're born, if you're 18 or 29, you know what I'm talking about. But if you're if you're older than 29, you have somewhat of an idea of what I'm talking about. You know the Twilight Zone? Roll the video. Yeah. Honey. The dead zone. Have you ever visited the dead zone? Oh yeah. yeah. You ever been there? Some of us have, have entered it for a little while and left. For some of us, we're still in the dead zone going like, oh, that's wrong. 
we don't have a, a financial problem, we have a discipline problem. We also have an entitlement problem. You know, if you've been around a while, if, you're, if you've been around a while, there's an old-fashioned term they used to call this. Spoiled. Remember that? Your mom and dad would say, oh, I'm not going to spill you. Now we use the word entitlement. I'm entitled to things. It's the attitude of, you owe me. For what? For breathing. You owe me something. You owe me. I'm owed this. And when you take something away from someone, whether he's rich, there's a problem. Or when you take away something from someone who's poor, there's a problem. Both sides always are unhappy. Both sides can be entitled. Rich and the poor. And we have to be honest with ourselves today. We can be a little spoiled. We can have unrealistic expectations of others and we feel entitled. Whether it's financially, whether it's at work, whether it's being a citizen of the United States of America, we feel entitled. People in Afghanistan feel lucky, blessed. Poor countries feel lucky and blessed. We feel entitled. Because we're born. Remember, our, it's, it's the abuse of prosperity. We're born into it. So as a, at an individual level, what tends to happen is that we have a greed problem. You know, isn't it, it's hard to spot, huh? You can't look in the mirror and say, oh, there's greed. It's hard to spot when you look at yourself in the mirror. You see other things that are not as nice, but you, you, see, you don't see the greed, right? You know, the greed problem, the money, the, and the money you think, the assumption is, it's all for my consumption now or later. It's all for my, and that's the assumption of greed. The money you have, the more money you have, the less you get. The average American in this country donates 2% to charity. The average American, not a, not a Christian, the average American, and the statistics come out every single year. We have a greed problem. The poorer you have, or the poorer you are, the statistics show the more generous you are. Stats don't lie. Lower income household families tend to be more generous than higher income families. It's a mystery. Right? Because the more things you have when you, you know, you get greedy when you have more stuff, right? Yeah. You're more generous when you had less stuff. I would give things away when I was a kid, when I was 18 years old. I'd give away, if you're in the military, you know what a Gore-Tex jacket is. You know how valuable those are to military guys? They're like the most expensive military jacket. I sold it for five bucks at a garage sale. <laughs> Looking back on it, I'm going, that was insane. But I just gave it away. I, didn't, I wasn't going to use it. Who's going to wear camouflage in the streets of our... That looks a little strange. So I give it to someone who likes to wear camouflage in the streets. <laughs> you can wear it. I'm not going to wear that anymore. <laughs> and what happens is, in, in the area of the grief problem, we have so much in our lives 
that there's very little room for generosity. We are the U.S. of A. And yet we give the least. Now, we also have at the leadership level, at any level, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an employer, whether you're a manager, we have a failure of nerve problem. You know this. When the kids should have been in bed by 8, they're not. And you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with the tears right now. Half hour more, half hour more, half hour more. Then I get really tired, and I'll stay up with them. Honey, can you stay up with them? Because you know, if he gets, when he gets tired, he'll go to bed, and it'll be a lot more smoother. And we don't say go to bed and say, ah, oh, we don't want to deal. It's failure of nerve. You know this. You know the Congress? We're like, failure of nerve. Someone stand up and say something. Do something. When you see someone, you know, a leader who should be doing something that avoids it because he's afraid of the consequences, come on, man. Come on. You see that work. Deal with that employee. He's nuts. Come on. We see it all the time. In your family, at work, you see it. We have a failure of nerve. And you look at it, and you say, those greedy, undisciplined, entitled people who don't have any nerve. And then you walk around all like disgruntled. At least I do sometimes. Start brewing. And then we pick up our own stone. And we just want to let them have, I'm going to tell this. Just don't just tell this. Sometimes I want to throw my shoe at the TV set. Going, <laughs> disgusting. I'm disgusted with what I see. And you have the stone, and then Jesus walks into the scene. And you, you put your stone down for a second. Oh, man, Jesus. <laughs> How's it going? And he speaks into this fray. And instead of taking sides, he addresses both sides. And so he's in this crowd and I just put my rock down and then the crowd's wondering, hey Jesus, are you far left? Are you far right? He goes, I'm far out, right? <laughs> I'm not either. He addresses both sides. And he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. You. Because I'm right? Because I'm empowered? Because I'm confident? Because I don't have something in my eye. <laughs> and then he says, Well, how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I don't have a plank. I'm good. And you know how Jesus knows this? Do you have a plank in your You know how he knows this? How he detects it? Because you're so focused on the other person's speck. 
That's how he knows. Because you're so focused on it. <laughs> he knows. And his point is that we, his point is not saying you shouldn't notice it. Obviously, duh, right? You shouldn't, but it's, no, it's the noticing of faults in others that should kind of send you to the mirror first. You ever have that time with your wife? When she says something to you and you're like offended? Then you realize she's got a ginormous plank in her eye, right? <laughs> and you want to address it right away. She noticed this little sawdust in my eye, and I, whoa, but you got something sticking way out of your face. It's like way out. And the first thing that I want to do, I want to talk about that plank that's out of your eye. When she was addressing me and addressing something in my, something in my eye, but I wanted to first address that big old thing. That's what I wanted to do. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. This happened a couple days ago, by the way. And I was, we can't even address it. Isn't that sometimes how we are? We don't want to address things. We have the same issue. We have the same issue. Now, and then he says this. Now, I'm just, I'm just reading now. I'm just, just reading this. He says, you hypocrite. I, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I'm just reading. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Hypocrite is when you expect someone to do something that you won't do yourself. I want you to look at your plank, but I don't want to look at my stack. Yeah, I know you. I, I know I was rude, but you were ruder. ER. Ruder, meaner. You were the ER. Oh, est then. You were the rudest. I threw in the est. That's pretty serious. Whenever I get confronted, I, I throw the ER or the est. Because we need to measure this. Your plank is bigger than my plank. <laughs> You hypocrite. When something bothers me, I can take a look at me. You know, Karen's been telling me that for years. You know, sometimes I have great days. I looked at myself, and they, they didn't like it. I looked at myself. Most times, it's like I don't like what you just said. I hate what you just said. Look at you. He says this first. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Take the plank out of your eye. That's no fun. That's not fun at all. But here's the promise. Then you will see clearly. Then I will see that, ah, I hurt her. Ah, she, she's wounded. I can see clearly. I hurt someone. I can see more clearly. It's that long, hard gaze in the mirror that lets you see any situation with the filter of faith. Any situation with the filter of faith. Looking at your life through the lens of faith. Not through the lens of politics. Not through the lens of, you know, 
all these financial equations, but through the lens of faith. You will see clearly. For what purpose? The purpose is so you can remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, history, the history of our any church, whether from the ancient days to now, is always a history of reactions. This generation reacts to this generation. And they react, oh, we don't like that, it's on our way. And we react to this generation. Churches are always reacting to a different generation. So I love when Steve says, don't miss God working if some things are a little bit different than what you're used to growing up to. Because other generations say the same thing, well, that's not our thing. We don't do that. So we can remove the speck. Because something has to be done. You can't have two people walking around, you know, pointing fingers at each other because you know what happens? You got your eye poked out. Unless you're curly, right? You got your eye poked out. You can't be walking around work, church, family. You get two people doing that, they're poking someone's eye out. That can't be good. So what do we do? The road to recovery begins with we, not they. The road to recovering it always starts with we. And I'm included in that we. That's me too. Not they. Change starts when I change. Yep. Not when they change. I'll change when you change. You ever heard of that? I'll be humble when you're humble. <laughs> It's going to be a long day. Right? Recovery starts with we. Pointing fingers. Seeing clearly is what Jesus wants us. The mature person is always solution oriented. How's the solution? We can work this out. We're going to do this. Because it's always something they can do that are part of the solution. You know when you're in the middle of doing something important and someone comes to you and all they tell you is what's wrong? Yeah. Or they bring no solutions? Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, that is not helpful. Okay. That's not helping me. Solution, mature. Entitled people always look for someone to blame. Yeah. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. So we got to change from being the entitled to being the mature. Just, as, a, just as, a, as an American, especially, but especially as a Christian. Yep. Especially. Because we're the nation within the nation. We're the country within the country. Recovery should always begin with us, the church. I mean, what if we were to answer these questions honestly? And you look in the mirror. Here's an honest question I want you to answer. Are you undisciplined with your money? I don't mean, but sometimes I see a little extra money in the budget. I'm going, oh yeah, I can do something with that. Oh yeah, I can take that. I can go. We can go just stuff. We can go have some fun, right? How about just not touching it? How about letting it roll over for a rainy day? Yeah. Sounds so uninspiring. Are you undisciplined with your money? In other words, do you save it? Someone teach my kids, you know. Do you save money? So we have these little jars, right? Our son's got these little small jars. It gives to God. It's marked out. 
I had money. He wanted me to turn in money today, but I forgot. So I'll turn it in later. This big little envelope. He's got like 11 bucks in there over the year. He's giving his little contribution. $11. It's probably um, probably 25% of what he what he collected. <laughs> He's going above and beyond the average American. <laughs> then there's a spending jar. It's we, we thought it started off in this little little glass jar, but now it's become this huge, you know, he's got this big old piggy bank now, it's huge. It's like a, so the spending, the spending jar is, is huge. So you always throw money into the spending jar. And then there's the saving jar. Because you're going to need something later. First time, all he wants to do is just go to Toys R Us and get something. Yeah. <laughs> now, now you can price match. I'm not sure about that generation coming up, but starting early. Has your lifestyle caught up with your income to credit card debt? Because it'll catch up to you. Because you can't keep kicking that can down the road forever. It will catch up. Are you considering a purchase that you cannot afford? Do we have a discipline problem? Second question is, are you greedy? Are you a greedy person? Greed transcends economics. We've seen poor greedy people, and we know we've seen rich greedy people. Are you greedy? You can't see it in the mirror, but you have to ask yourself. Do you assume that everything you have is yours? Do you assume it's for your consumption? Do you assume that you have a right to it? It's all yours. Is there very little room for generosity? Because you could be abusing your prosperity. We give you a charity that in our, in our city that just gives strictly to the poor directly. We were going to one charity, they were reselling it for, you know, for profit. We thought, well, we want, we want to give to it. And we, we, you know, we always go there, they know, they know us. And um, it's so um, encouraging to see that there are people that actually need stuff. That, you know, we're, we're thinking like we can offload some things, you know, old bicycles, toys. But we want to, we try to teach our kids, let's get something that's meaningful to you. That's really generosity. What's meaningful to you? What's going to impact you? Are you paying your taxes? Tax season is coming up. Are you going to pay your taxes, honestly? Are you stealing from your employers? Are you taking things that you shouldn't? Are you taking care of your children? For whether you have a previous marriage or not, other kids, are you taking care of your kids? Are you looking after them? Are you on disability but you really can work? Those are the questions you have to answer. Imagine this. Imagine if everyone who claims to be a Christian was generous. Imagine every American, imagine if the average American get inspired by the Christians who are generous. Imagine if, what, what would it, how would it change everything. Imagine if our country fixed the discipline problem. Imagine what America would be like, right? But first, let's, let's, let's clear out the speck in our eye first so we can see clearly. Let's avoid a reaction to be this versus, yeah, I'm going to look at the mirror first. Okay, now I see. 
Now I can see. Because the road to recovery, it begins with we. Not they, or not him, right? So I have some homework for you. It has nothing to do with the lesson, but it's a good homework assignment. <laughs> Which sort of does, but... When you want to recover spiritually from some funky times, you know Christmas, Chinese New Year, it's coming up, right? I'm going to give you a homework assignment. This little card is, has a cute little design on it. It says our little church name. But it actually represents something much greater than just paper, a tree, some print. This is a seed. Spiritual seeds come in many forms. And there's a generation that we are completely missing in our church. Want to know what that generation is? We got, we got the baby boomers. Amen, baby boomers. We got Generation X, and that's me and the Hizzy, right? Booyah. That's a Generation X term. Booyah. Hizzy. So you know. We have Generation Y. We're missing the Millennial Generation. Well, what's that? What's a Millennial? They are, they are people who are 18 to 29 years of age. We have eight of them, actually, in our church. We call them the Campus Ministry. But we all want to have one focus as a church. Now, if you're married, you're always reaching out to your friends, your neighbors, reaching out. You're being good, good, good Christians. But I want you to take a seat today. Take a couple seats. And I want you to, just for yourself, saying, I want to I I be a generous sower with this seed. And I want to send a seed out. Whether you decide it's one time a week or two times a week, you pick you decide your seed. And you hand this seed to a millennial. I tried it uh, the, other, the other day. I said, excuse me, are you a millennial? <laughs> she goes, yes, I am. I was like, it's a wise cookie here, right? Because if she would have said, no, I'm not, I would have said, well, millennials, 18 and 29, I've been looking for you. So what happened when she's on millennial? I said, I said I didn't even have one of these. I was like, I was like, well, I want to invite you to our service. Millennials want the website. They want the little 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 scanner QPR code. They're not so interested in your phone number. They're like, I can find it. Just give me the site. Right? I know where to go. I don't need your number and directions. Turn on Wendy Drive and it's behind the islands. They don't need to hear that. They will find it. They're millennials. They were on a, a computer what, out of the womb. They were on the iPad, drooling on it. They were on. They were all over technology. But what, what we, what we can't do, what we can't do, is control what their reaction or response is going to be. That's that's God, and leave that work for God. That's His work. What can we do? We can control that. We can control the amount of seeds I drop every week. And if we drop enough sweets, if we are, the Bible says, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Amen. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. So I want us all as one church to target 
18 to 29 year olds. That doesn't mean don't share with your neighbor who's married. They take more time. You've got to build more relations. Millennials, boom. I've been looking for you. That's my line. I'm using that. I've been looking for you. Really? There you go. It's a different generation. You know, I saw that movie, um, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> and that's, that spoke to me. Because when I was in high school, it was the buffest, athletic, it was... Oof. Anyone who studied, like, you're a nerd, dude, get out of here. Anyone who studied didn't get, didn't get C, I mean, got more than a B, we didn't like, whoa, what's something, something's odd about you in school. That's who we were, we were all jocks. Everything's changed. The smart guys are the cool guys now. It's like, whoa, it's unnatural. That's what I thought. But it's a new generation. And I think we can reach them. And they're, they're all over our, our, where we live. They're everywhere. We just got to reach them. So I want to give you a homework assignment to decide what seed, how many seeds are you going to drop. Remember the principle. If you sow generously... You will reap generously. And the victory is that you're just sowing the seed. The victory is not whether they come or not. That's not the victory. The victory is that you sow the seed. That's the victory. That's the win. That's the victory. So if you can do that, you'll find yourself a victorious Christian. Remember, the road to recovery begins with we, not they. We're going to close with a song.